Hello, my friends, and welcome to episode 13 of the School for School Counselors podcast. I'm Steph Johnson. I'm so glad you're back with me this week as we talk about the four magical ingredients of successful advocacy. You know, school counselors are being instructed ad nauseum about advocating for our school counseling programs. Everywhere you turn, we're being told to advocate, advocate, advocate. But there's one big elephant in the room that no one's talking about, and that is no one is telling you how to advocate. They're giving you these little one-off one-liners about how to advocate for your program, but they don't even begin to scratch the surface of what successful advocacy actually looks like. So today I'm going to talk about how advocacy is really negotiation and the four ingredients that you need for your negotiations to be successful. I'm also going to talk about how your representing organizations have become completely impotent when it comes to helping you successfully advocate for a change on your campus. And I know that sounds severe, but I'm, I'm standing by it. And you'll see what I mean as we walk through this episode. So successful advocacy is learning to negotiate effectively. If you listened to last week's podcast, episode 12, I talked about how school counseling data is a lot like old school checkbooks where we used to write checks and keep records of them in a check register. So go back and listen to that one if you haven't yet, because it was it was super fun to talk about. And I mentioned in that episode how my sweet mother set me up for success and making sure that I understood how those financial obligations worked and how to stay within my means. Well, she also did another great thing for me growing up, and that is she took me with her for every single negotiation that she was involved in. And she was not afraid to negotiate. She's very shrewd. She is a businesswoman of the year in her town. She is a dynamo and an amazing role model for me. And one of the things that she taught me was the art of negotiation. So let's jump into the four components, the four magical ingredients of successful advocacy. And you will see as we talk through these that you have never, ever heard your representing organizations even bring these things up. And they're so crucial. Number one, you've got to be educated. You've got to know your numbers. Now, this one we hear about a little bit, right? We are told, collect your use of time data and present it to your administration. And that's pretty much the extent of the instruction that we get. Use of time data is certainly appropriate here, perhaps also your program data. So maybe some outcome data, some um, examples of pre and post intervention data summaries, those kinds of things. But you don't only need a log of that information. You also have to have an understanding of what it actually means. It is imperative that you have fluency in your numbers and not just in the ideal. What I mean by that is you cannot show up and present your stats next to the stats of an ideal comprehensive school counseling program and expect your audience to connect the dots. There are so many reasons 
why they may not think to do that or why they choose not to do that. And so you're going to have to be extensively fluent in your data so that you can explain and illustrate the nuance so that you can show not only where the shortfalls are occurring, but how and why and what could be better if it was different. You've got to be able to tell the story behind them. You have to be able to discuss them inside and out and be ready for any curveballs that are thrown at you. So that's number one. You've got to know your numbers. Number two, this is one that's not ever talked about. In my experience, wandering through social media, wandering through the websites of our national and state organizations, I never, ever see this one mentioned. It's patience. Change in education moves so slowly, especially when finances are involved, right? School districts are loath to spend any more money than they absolutely have to. And when they begin to consider doing so, they only do it with a really darn good reason. If you're just starting out with your use of time data collection, you're going to need to know that advocacy is going to come about three years from the start of collecting that data. It's going to take a while. It is a process. Now, this is not to discourage you. But I don't think we're doing anyone any service if we're not being real about the process. You as a new person on a campus or you as a newly data collecting school counselor are not going to have the insight and the information available until you've collected data for a couple of years. You can show data for one year. It could be considered a fluke. You can show the data for two years, and maybe we're starting to establish a pattern there. About year three, when we've established the pattern and we've had the time to reflect on the nuance and the interplay between those numbers, that's when we're able to really build a good case for whatever we're asking for. So remember, Rome wasn't built in a day. You can periodically engage in some little breadcrumb conversations along the way, but just know The whole process is going to require a lot of patience. Third, and another one you never hear anyone talk about, you have to be able to resist an emotional attachment. This one is hard for us because we are very emotionally invested in our work, right? It's the whole reason that we do what we do. We care so deeply about students and student outcomes, but we've got to remember a couple of things. Number one, our data is not a reflection of our worth as school counselors. If you haven't listened to our podcast episode titled, Your Data Does Not Define You, go back and give that one a listen. Um, It's good to listen to periodically. It's a pep talk that I have to give myself from time to time. Your data does not define you. It does not define your worth and your job. And it does not define how awesome your program is. If you're in there plugging away every day, pushing and giving it all that you have, you're successful. So rest in that and know you're doing everything you can do. Your data doesn't define you and you can't take it personally. But the second piece to that is, as you're resisting that emotional attachment, when it comes time to begin having these advocacy conversations, it's very important to keep others' responses 
from feeling personal as well. It's so easy to do, especially when, again, we're so invested in student outcomes. We know that if we could successfully advocate for our programs, it's going to do tremendous things for our students, right? Because we're not advocating for ourselves. We're advocating for student outcomes. And it's really hard to not take that on the chin when someone looks at you and says, ah, you know, no, we just, we don't have the personnel right now to do that. We don't have the funds to do that. We don't have the time to give you to do that. It feels very personal, but this is a negotiation. It's not personal. And the last one, this is the giant, huge, I want to say elephant in the room, but it feels even bigger than that. It's like the tornado busting through. No one talks about it. No one acknowledges it. And I will tell you with absolute certainty in my soul, it's the reason that 90% of failed school counseling advocacy fails. You have to have leverage. No one is going to change things just out of the goodness of their hearts. 99% of the time, that is not the way school districts work. Now, these days, districts are becoming more and more aware of student mental health. And so they are making change to better support students, which is amazing. But even then, they've seen a need somehow. They've seen how they can benefit from providing more supports to students. We have been told in our field that it's our responsibility to self-advocate. We're never really explicitly told how to do that, right? But we're told that it's, it's to be all on us. Our national and state organizations will tell us that they are advocating on our behalf, but with the exception of maybe a handful of organizations, and I visited personally every organization for all 50 states, I will tell you that the majority of them, if they are advocating, if they are involved in any kind of legislative lobbying or anything like that, they're not publishing it. And that's a shame. Because at that point, the only leverage that you've been given are things like these lists of appropriate and inappropriate school counseling duties and position statements. And my friends, a principal is not going to be intimidated by a handout. They're not going to be intimidated by a piece of paper telling them what you should be doing. They have to have a reason to implement change. They have to have a reason to introduce the idea to their higher ups. They have to be really invested in what they're presenting to make change. And giving them a piece of paper is usually not going to inspire that. I'm going to be very real. I don't think that we've been provided leverage. I don't think that we've been provided a great opportunity to be able to walk in with our education and knowing our numbers, with our patients and knowing it's a long game, and without the emotional attachment, and be able to negotiate to the correct end because we don't have powerful leverage. So I don't mean to sound discouraging with that. I think there are some ways that we can create some of that leverage for ourselves. 
But at the same time, we need to be thinking about as we're looking at getting more involved in our state organizations, getting more involved in our national organization and really asking questions of people. What are you doing to provide leverage for change? What are you doing to help me negotiate for better outcomes for students? What specifically are you providing? So how many of you have ever been to a car dealership to buy a car? It's an intense process. It feels like a minefield every step of the way. And if you were trained in negotiation like I was, it's also a little bit like a blood sport. Um, (laughs) I am not about to get taken advantage of. And often car salesmen are not too excited to be visiting with me as we get into the conversation a little bit more. But it's important to think about your experiences as we talk through these four magical ingredients of successful advocacy. Think about this. When you walk in to buy a car, typically you're going to have educated yourself about it, right? You're going to know your numbers. You're going to know what the usual list price of that car is, or maybe what a blue book value is. You're going to want to know what that's worth. You're not going to want to pay $100,000 for a $20,000 car. You're going to know your numbers. You're going to walk in knowing what you can afford to pay, right? Perhaps what kind of a payment you can afford to have each month, those kinds of things. What kind of interest rates are available right now? You're going to know your numbers. Then as you get into the negotiation of the price of the vehicle, gosh, you have to have patience. Y'all, if you don't have patience in that process, you are going to get taken advantage of so bad because the sales process is designed to wear you down. It is specifically designed to wear you down and diminish your resistance so that you will finally go along with whatever you're being told. Patience is one of your best weapons in a negotiation. It's almost like survival of the fittest in a way. And the longer that you can hold the line, the longer that you can maintain your patience and not get impatient and just say, okay, whatever, just let's just do this, the better off you're going to be. You've also got to resist that emotional attachment. You have to know if this deal doesn't work out, If I don't get this awesome car, that's okay. I'm still an awesome person, right? You can't get all wound up and how good you're going to look driving down the street in this thing. And you've always looked your best in red cars. And, you know, there's a blue one down the street, but it's not as good as this red one. Those kinds of things. You have to resist those emotional attachments. Those are what get you in trouble. Those are what get you tied into the outcome when you shouldn't be that tied up in it. And then the last one is you have to have leverage. You have to be able to say, you know, well, I've looked at the asking price of the same car down the street and they're asking $10,000 less for it. So if you guys can't come to an agreement with me, I'll go down there and buy it from them. Y'all, that's leverage. Being able to implement another option, being able to provide eh, what feels somewhat like a consequence right? You have to have leverage. You have to have some sort of thing that helps you bargain, that gives you some maneuverability in the situation. That's leverage. So when you think about it that way, then the process of school counseling advocacy and negotiation starts to become a little more clear. 
We are currently working here in School for School Counselors to build a network and a framework for successful advocacy for school counselors. Even though what we primarily provide looks like a membership, it's not an effort to be school counselor authorities or influencers. That's not our goal. The School for School Counselors was never developed as a side hustle. That's not what we are. The goal is to develop a coalition of like-minded school counselors. We know that we are stronger and smarter together. There is no one expert that has all of the golden answers, right? And we pride ourselves on being intelligent enough to recognize that fact. We are actively working to develop this coalition of school counselors to guide us and to work with us as we begin implementing this model for successful school counselor advocacy. We're not looking to take anyone's place. We're not looking to outshine anything else. We simply want to be a complement to the things that are already in place. We want to add to the beautiful symphony of folks working in school counseling so that we can help educate, empower, and advocate for school counselors all across our country and beyond. That's the goal here in School for School Counselors. And so as we're talking about these four magical ingredients for successful advocacy, I want you to know we're future thinking. We're looking forward about how we're going to guide all of you in that direction, what it's going to take to lead school counselors into successful advocacy efforts. It's going to take us all working together. It's going to take us all trusting and believing that these are the best outcomes for students, that school counselors are allowed to create and lead and build comprehensive school counseling programs as the professionals they've been trained to be. If you believe in that mission as much as I do, I invite you to check out our School for School Counselors Mastermind. It's not just a group that provides trainings. It's not just a group that meets once a month on a Zoom for somebody to bark at you about what they think you should be doing. This is true collaboration. This is true advocacy in its grassroots form, developing, talking about, imagining, and envisioning what large-scale advocacy could look like for all school counselors. We would love for you to be a part of it. Check out schoolforschoolcounselors.com slash mastermind to see all the details. If you have any questions, please feel free to message me on Facebook. I'd be happy to visit with you about it. All right, so until next week, let me remind you of our four magical ingredients. Successful advocacy requires education in knowing your numbers, patience, resisting the emotional attachment, and perhaps most importantly, leverage. Who are you working with that's going to provide that leverage? Guys, you're amazing for what you do each and every day. I just admire your hearts and your care and compassion for students day in and day out. I am so honored to be one of you, and I hope that this podcast resonated with you. I'll see you back here again next week for another episode of the School for School Counselors podcast. Until then, I hope you have the best week. Y'all take care. (laughs) 